Talk Recorded live. Yes, you gotta look before you leave. A little DC Five from the British rock band, the Dave Clark Five of 1965, ladies and gentlemen. Kicking us off here at the Wrestling Debate Table here, one seven two four 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 seventy forty four. Caller ID one three nine nine two five pound. And this is episode fifty six for Wednesday, June the seventh, twenty seventeen. Welcome to the debate table. I am your host, the Iceman, Jared T. Geraldo, and joining me live tonight on the line, ladies and gentlemen, one half of the Madness Kingdom, if you will, the King of Kings, if you will, the King of Sting, the Master of Disaster, he's all those things and then some. Let us welcome him back to the debate table once again, the G to the T to the S, Gerard T. Smith. Hey, yo. Yes, indeed. Hey, yo is the face here tonight. And boy, oh boy, we got a great discussion for you all tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, folks, we are going to talk about the 10 most hyped up matches in coincidence because of what happened this past Monday night on Monday Night Raw. After what happened Sunday night in Baltimore when it was announced that the Samoan Submission Machine, the former two-time NXT World Champion, the master of the Kikina Clutch, Samoa Joe, will be facing the Beast Incarnate, Brock Edward Lesnar, or Brock Lesnar simply, whatever you want to call him. It doesn't really matter. Mr. Suplex City himself, in five weeks' time, how at Great Balls of Fire on the WWE Network Live from the Lone Star State of Texas in Big D, Dallas, of course, July the 9th, however. We are going to talk about some of the best moments, however, and some of the best matches that lived up to the hype, and then some, ladies and gentlemen. So if you want to join us right now, we'll be here for the next hour or so. We've got a lot of matches to talk. We've got a lot of moments to talk about. So please give us a call right now. We'd love to hear from you. Once seven two four 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 seventy forty four. Call ID one three nine nine two five pound. Of course, at nine o'clock, Gerard and I will be back with your local news headlines. John Gross will have your birthdays and dates, and then of course we'll be looking at last night's SmackDown. What was a very interesting Tuesday night live in Rochester, New York, last night at the Blue Cross Arena. Having said that, mind you, we'll talk about that in less than an hour. But right now, we're going to start off with our uh, debate tonight, how with some of the best matches and the best hyped up moments in history. So I'm going to turn it over now to my tag team partner, if you will, with his first moment of the night. So go ahead. The stage is yours. Well, I'm going to have to say, uh, I'm not going to go in order. I'm just going to name them off. Um, sure. And we'll we'll banter, banter back and forth. I'll name one, you name one, I'll name one. Yes. And we'll go fine. back and forth. That's fine. Uh, okay. My first is going to be, uh, yeah, I think it was well, it was pretty uh, pretty hyped up, but uh, I'm going to have to go with Hollywood Hawk Hogan versus The Rock in Toronto. The fans went fucking nuts. 
Yes, WrestleMania 18, the old school and new school, of course. Hulk Hogan and his friends Kevin Nash and Scott Hall had arrived early in 2002, a year after WCW closed out, however, and was bought out by Vince McMahon and the McMahon family, if you will. Of course, as you said, a great moment there, 68,000 at the Skydome going crazy, seeing two of the best legends ever go at it, however. And of course, by the end of the night, however, it was very interesting to hear what the fans thought of both superstars. It was sort of like going in, both fans, however, uh, well, the fans, however, had mixed emotions on both, but by the end of the night, however, they kind of changed their mind about uh, each competitor, if you will, as they did the old uh, switcheroo, as they like to say, however, in this one. Your thoughts about this one? Uh, I thought it was great. I thought, uh, well, you know me, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm the biggest, well, I don't know if I'm the biggest Hawk Hogan fan, but I'm a really big Hawk Hogan fan. I told yes. everybody, Hawk Hogan got me started when I was eight years, or eight or nine years old, so yes. Hawk Hogan has been my favorite yes. ever, and he still is, so, but, uh, seeing Hawk Hogan in the NWO gear and being the NWO man, uh, and then The Rock, well, you know, The Rock, The Rock is The Rock, you know. Right, sure. He's great, he's entertaining, he's uh-huh. good on the mic, but I'm not yeah. a r- really big fan. Uh, but uh, seeing The Rock and him go at it, it's like two of the greatest icons ever. Yes. To go at it, and then to see at the end where, like, when they came in, The Rock was, like, cheered, and The Rock, and then at the end, everybody loved Hogan. Yes. And I think... I think, you know, The Rock is like, oh, man, this, like, sucks. Yes, certainly. Yes, I I do recall that, yes. And, of course, the next night we saw what happened, as we said. However, we saw Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and Hogan come in as a group. However, they had done this at WCW. Then they came back in the, together in WWE to try to do the same thing. And by the end of the next night, however, after WrestleMania 18, however, there was, uh, well... Hall and Nash kind of pushed Hogan off to the side, if you will. He kind of said, to hell with you guys, however. I'm going to do it my way, however. And I don't care what you all think, however. But uh, that being said, however, I'm going to do it my way. So uh, he did that, and of course... Like old blue eyes, eh? Yes. I'll do it my way. Yes, he'll, he'll do it his way, exactly. Like old Frank Sinatra. And he did, of course. He told Hall and Nash what he thought of him. And uh, basically, he went on his own and did it, however. And as a result, Hall and Nash went to do their thing. Of course, it wouldn't be long before Scott Hall would be out of the company. And, of course, Kevin Nash got hurt a few months after this. And uh, that kind of, uh, well, let's just say that broke the mold, if you will, however. And that kind of really was supposed to be all good and everything, however. And they thought it was going to be a good thing, however. But that kind of never uh, really continued to be uh, the par for the course, if you will, to use the terminology, however. And it kind of uh, faded out, however, suddenly and very shortly after. Okay, my first one, however, was a very unique match. I'm going to go back to 1988. I'm going to say the Kerry Von Eric, Jerry the King Lawler match, the Battle of the Two Titles, AWA and WCCW at the time. Both of these companies were in really tough times. Vern Gagne, of course, however, had his own agenda with the AWA, of course, involving Jerry Lawler, even though he was still working in Memphis at the time, however, mind you. And currently the AWA champion, Kerry Von Eric, was dealing with his own family issues down there in Texas in WCCW, and they were barely keeping their heads above the water after some of those guys had gone off to Vince McMahon's company or other federations. As a result, the unification matchup set up these two, however, to try to comp- compete with Vince McMahon, who was basically along with... Uh, uh, some of his cohorts, however, buying up all the town from all the territories, however. As a result, we saw what happened early in the matchup, and that's when Kerry sliced his arm on the buckle very early in the match, however. And then afterward, the king made the, uh, Jerry the king, uh, king, I almost said the, made the king bleed. I meant to say Kerry Von Eric bleed. The referee stopped the match, however, even though, however, Kerry said he could continue to go on. And as a result, however, the referee said no dice whatsoever, no moss whatsoever. As a result, King won both titles. But then, as a result, however, he was supposedly stripped of the AWA championship. But when the AWA asked him to give him the belt back, he said, basically told Vern Gagne and them to hell with you guys, however, I'm keeping the belt for myself, however, as well as the other belt. And as a result, it didn't matter, however, because afterwards, AWA and WCCW would fold as we know it, however, and start to, uh, well, disintegrate into uh, history, if you will. Your thoughts about uh, this matchup between Lawler and Von Eric? Yeah, I seen the. I think it was what was it? AWA uh, like biopic thing. Yes, the uh, less spectacular legacy of the AWA DVD. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't see the DVD. I seen it oh. on the network. Oh uh, yeah. 
Well, same thing. It was a DVD. Yeah, but it's for the, sure. Yeah. On the network, uh, I seen that on the network, and they wanted, you know, they didn't know who to pass it to because everybody was leaving. Yes. Right? Everybody they passed oh, yeah. the title to, yeah. they, would, they would leave. They're like, okay, hey, how about you take the title? Okay. Yep. And then, like, a month with the title, they're like, uh, I'm going WWE, or WWF, sorry. Yep. Yeah. And they're like, what? Oh, well, shit. And then he thought that, you know, if he gave it to his son, that his yeah. son would stay, right? Right. But yeah. you got to remember, back then, right, like, mm-hmm. you you were in the territory, you had to stay where you were and everything. And Oh, yeah, you couldn't go outside of it. Nope. You couldn't, I just heard that from Dusty Rhodes. I watched the Dusty Rhodes DVD thing. Yes. And he's yeah. like... You know, they, you know, you wrestled in Texas, you wrestled in Texas. You couldn't uh-uh. go to Atlanta, you couldn't go, uh-uh. because everybody had it mapped out. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think that the first real trouble for the AWA began, I think, personally, and I've said it before, I mean, it was around that time, you're right. I think the first chink in the armor, the first crack in the armor, began when Hulk Hogan left the AWA. I mean, he was promised the AWA belt. He had had some battles with Nick Bockwinkle, and the two of them had traded off back and forth throughout the ter- all over the place, out of the Midwest. And I think once Vince came in, how after he talked, took the business from his father, which he was not feeling well by the end of 83 into 84, and like I said many times, Times over, and I'll say it again. Vince was sort of like the Michael Corleone of the uh, McMahon family empire until he became the Don himself. However, uh, of course, the Don being Vince Senior. Basically, Vince Senior gave him his blessing. He says, "You go ahead, do what you're supposed to do, and make me proud." And as a result, uh, Vince did proud. But he also made a lot of enemies along the way. And of course, he also stole the big name talents like the Hogan's, the Savages, all these other guys from different territories down south, out west, out up north. I mean, your neck of the woods, over in the east. Yeah. All Bischoff, Bischoff did the same to him later on in life. That's he exactly right. From him, so yep. karma's a bitch. Yeah, karma's a bitch, and turnabout's fair plays, they say. You are correct. You are right. But uh, like I said, I think uh, by the mid to late 80s, even before the whole uh, drug steroid trial of the 90s took place and before all that uh, darkness uh, paled in, w- in wrestling for quite a few years and even longer than that until... Uh, the mid '90s, how when the Monday Night Wars began, how I think uh, at the time how wrestling was uh, doing okay, but they were just barely skimping by. I mean, they had started out pretty good in the decade, however, and in the mid '80s they reached their zenith. But by the mid to late '80s, how they started kind of dipping back down again, and it would be a while till they recover. But the thing with AWA, like I said, I think when those guys just said we're going elsewhere or we're just gonna for more money, however, I just think that hurt them. And like I said, I mean, they put different guys with the belt for a month. Like you said, his son, Greg Gagne, uh, Stan Hansen for a while. I mean, there was a lot of talk about his attitude and the way he handled himself professionally outside the ring as well as in the ring. Ricky Martel was another guy. I mean, I can remember when Ricky won the title from Jumbo Tosada, but I was like 9 or 10 years old. And then, of course, he dropped the title by the end of 1985 uh, to Hansen because of his back issues. And that was because he had a serious back problem. And Hanson would only hold the belt for less than six months before giving it to Nick Bockwinkle again. So there was a lot of trouble in the AWA. I mean, not just AWA, but WCCW and a lot of those small territories. uh, Another thing is when they tried to band together and make, uh, what the hell did they make the pay-per-views? Super Clash. Super Clash? Yeah. And they they're like, oh, we got this. We're all going to band together and we're we're going to kill the WWF. No. Watch this. We're going to crush them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was on the AWA DVD, and mm-hmm. Vince was on there, and Vince is like, what the hell were they trying? Like, all those egos, all those people. Yeah. You couldn't do it because, like, you know, you had uh, one guy running one, one guy, and then mm-hmm. everybody owned a belt, but no yeah. one wanted to like, drop the belt to somebody else in the other organization, I can understand, because then it would be in their organization, right? Right, exactly. Like like Jerry like uh, Jerry the King with Memphis, uh, like I said, Kerry with WCCW, the whole AWA thing. I mean, like Vince said it best, and you just said it. 
Vince said on the DVD how these three guys can work in the same room, let alone work, get a cup of coffee together. And then, like I said, you look at some of these superstars. Some of these superstars weren't even paid for some of these appearances. I mean, look at Jerry Lawler. He wasn't paid, and he, I mean, for the longest time, and I still think to this day, he's still owed. He was still owed a lot of money before Vern Gagne passed away some time back. However, but for the longest time, I don't think he ever got paid that that money that Vern was supposed to give to him the night he won both titles. And it's a shame. It's a really bad shame to see that happen, you know. All right, uh, you got another one, I'm sure. So let's hear our next one. Oh, I got a doozy. All right, Mr. Harley Race. Yes. Versus Dusty Rhodes. Yes. Uh, talk about two great Hall of Famers here, ladies. You know, the late great American Dream, and of course the King of Professional Wrestling. No, not Jerry Lawler, the other king who is uh, battling some health issues of his own these days. However, hopefully he is on the mend. However, we like to send out get well wishes to him. And, of course, that is the former seven-time world champion, handsome Harley Race, who, of course, had some great battles back in the day in the 70s and 80s throughout the Midwest and the Kansas City Territory, of course, with Bob Geigel. And, of course, later on went to Mid-Atlantic and WWE. Uh, great pick there. Very good pick. Uh, your thoughts about this one? I think it was really great because you had one of the greatest heels versus one of the the biggest faces. Yes. Uh, you know, uh-huh. you know, American Dream. He was. Uh, he wasn't. You know, he wasn't like any other buddy. He. You know, uh-huh. he didn't have the physical uh, appearance like Hawk Hogan or Harley Race or Superstar Billy Graham. But right. He could go. He could. He could really go. He could beat your ass. And uh, he could talk, and he could he could talk among the best of them. And I yes, think that, you know, that's what drew everybody in. Yes, yes, he could. And I would say also, I mean, like you said, both of them could talk. I mean, Harley Race always got his point across. I can remember uh, one of the first uh, things I just watched an old promo of his earlier today. I, or was it today? Yeah, like last, this morning I watched when I was out early out earlier this morning on my phone. I watched it on my phone. The one promo I can remember him uh, cutting, how I was really good, was the uh, match that he set up, of course, with Ric Flair at Starcade 83 when he put the bounty on Ric Flair. He told anyone in their own right, Howard, that I would put a lot of money up, Howard, whether it be Wahoo McDaniels, uh, Paul Jones and his army, uh, Dick Slater. I mean, he told anyone and everybody, Howard, to come and collect the money, Howard, because I'm saying out a bounty, however, for Ric Flair, and I want him out of the sport altogether, however. I don't care what it takes, Howard. I mean, I will put my amount of money and anything else, however, that you do, however, and I will reward you for this, however. And Dusty Rhodes, you talk about a great talker. I mean, Dusty Rhodes, we know he is the best of the best, however, no doubt about it. And to this day, it's two years later, and we still miss the man tremendously. And his kids have become very successful in their careers. I mean, Cody has become a great athlete more and more. And, of course, we know about Dustin the Natural, of course, now back into his uh, mean guy, Goldust persona, more darker and edgier, as I've said before. How I like where they're going back with him again and developing this new mean streak with him again. I think it's awesome. Uh, so, uh, yeah, no question about it. These two guys uh, definitely lived up to the hype. No question about it. Great, great moment there, Gerard. No question about it. All right, here's my number two. This is going to be going like this one. Sabu versus Taz, barely legal, 97. I mean, you talk about two guys who really didn't like each other. It was the homicidal, suicidal, uh, genocidal madman of Bombay, who, of course, was managed by uh, Bill Alfonso, of course. This guy, uh, talk about sadistic and hardcore and psycho. I mean, he is up there with, like, the Terry Funks and the Mick Foley's. It is Zabu. And then, of course, you got the five foot nine, 245-pound man from Red Hulk, New York, the man who could really snap your neck, snap your arm, whatever he wanted, because he was trained in all those moves in judo and jiu-jitsu, and that, of course, is the human suplex machine. No, no, I'm talking about our own Don Gross, however, the other human suplex machine. It is the man known as the TAZ, however, with Bill Alfonso managing him. Of course, later on, he would leave uh, Taz, however, Team Taz, I should say, and join up with Sabu, but uh, the two of them at the very first ever ECW barely legal pay-per-view, I mean, you could tell it was like Muhammad Ali versus uh, Joe Frazier or even Joe Lewis versus Rocky Marciano. You had that big fight feeling with those two because those were two guys who were teammates, the best of friends. Well, not the best of friends, I should say. They were teammates, but not the best of friends. But also, they had had some personal heat with each other. Taz was not happy. Sabu had taken off to go to WCW after Paulie had fired him back in 95. He came back. He apologized, I'm sure, for his actions. If he didn't, so be it. But then... Sabu went on his own later on in the decade and even in 
New Millennium Howard to team up with Rob Van Dam. But at the time, you had these two guys just really find a way to just not like each other. Like I said, they teamed up with each other, but they were also rivals. And, of course, they settled their differences a few times in the ring. And the first meeting of this was at Barely Legal 97. Your thoughts about Sabu and Taz? Well, you know, Sabu and Taz, they, they fought it. They fought it. They 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 fighted uh, all over the place. They beat the hell out of each other. Yep. It was a great rivalry. It was a great buildup. Uh, they hate, at first, they hated each other. Yes, they did. Yes, they and did. They, like, I think, uh, I forget who it was, Taz or Sabu, like, quit or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, like, Pauly had to, you know. Play Peacemaker. Say, come back, come back, come back. You know, I'll give you more, well, I don't know if he gave him more money, because there was no, not really much money in these. Sure, sure. Yeah, 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 I know what you're give, saying. Yep. Give him something that he, yes. like, you know. He greased the wheel somehow. I don't know how he did it, but yeah. in ECW, he greased the wheel a lot. Yes, he did. Certainly, certainly. And like I said, Howard, I mean, I have the Barely Legal 97 pay-per-view, and I'll tell you what, Howard, I haven't watched it in a while, but I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that again. I mean, that, that is, to me, one of my favorite matches, that pay-per-view, that, the six-person tag, and, of course, the big main event. But to me, that's the first match I'll watch every time, Howard, when I watch Barely Legal, because those two guys, like you said, did not like each other. They didn't trust each other. They didn't even uh, respect each other. And uh, it was just, like you said, uh, bad blood at times, Howard, that these two guys never really uh, found a way to uh, coexist with each other in the same locker room. But, uh, of course, uh, I'm sure they've patched things up. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. It's been a while since I've heard. But I know Sabu, I know Taz on his uh, radio show has talked about Sabu a couple times. In fact, I think about a month ago he talked about Sabu and him uh, fighting the second time with each other, or it was maybe Taz and uh, someone else, but uh, he did talk a little bit about Sabu one day on his show, and this was about a 10-minute discussion. Some caller called him. I forget where he's from. I think it was either Chicago or New- uh, maybe it was in Manhattan, but Taz talked to him on the air, and uh, Taz told some uh, very unique stories about him and Sabu, how they uh, really did never see eye-to-eye with each other. All right, you're up next with number three. Well, you know what? Because you said that, because you're going down the ECW road, I'm going to have to go down the ECW road as well. Yes. And this marks, I think, well, 20, 21-year feud. Yes. With Tommy Dreamer and Raven. Yes. You saw another great feud that had some serious intensity. The innovator of violence and, of course, the master of the uh, so-called what about me, what about Raven. Uh, You're talking about two guys who really, really always found a way to, uh, I'm sure, respect each other as well. Maybe they did again like Sabu and Taz. Maybe they didn't. Uh, Certainly no question about these two guys absolutely really had some very interesting resentment towards each other. You had a lot of characters being played, and a part of it, including Tommy's uh, now wife, Beulah McGillicuddy. Uh, of course, you also had Stevie Richards. You had, uh, I think, uh, the Blue Meanie was involved at one time, involved in this feud. A couple other guys were involved. Very, very unique feud here, to say the least, however. Uh, give us uh, your thoughts about this one. I loved it any time that Raven fought. Uh, yes. Or Tommy Dreamer. Yes. And I and I will say one thing about Tommy. I think how at some point, however, I think he will be going into the Hall of Fame. I really do. I mean, is you can say he was never. I mean, he was a world champion for a brief minute or two, but and he was also a tag team champion a couple times. But when it came to uh, spilling your blood on the floor, however, I mean, these two guys absolutely raised the bar. And then some. I mean, these guys would fight all over. Philadelphia. There are times, however, I thought they would spill out of the streets, into, I should say, spill out of the arena into the streets of Philadelphia. It looked like it was like a Philadelphia street fight. I can remember a couple times that I was wondering why Paulie never made them fight in the streets of Philly. I mean, I know Philly is sometimes you know, a vile place sometimes, not to say anything bad about it, but these two guys just absolutely showed no mercy whatsoever. I mean, they were the brutalest, uh, the brutalist, no doubt about it. And uh, I guess we're going to say with ECW again, however, I'm going to go with another great one. I'm going to say Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka. I mean, you talk about two guys really 
up in their game. I mean, UCW had a lot of great feuds and a lot of great wrestlers, no doubt about them. Of course, they went on to bigger and better things, obviously. But when it came to Awesome and Tanaka, I mean, these guys, not only did their battles here in the States, but they did a lot of their battles in Japan and old FMW. I mean, these guys tore the house down, I remember, a couple times in places in Japan like Tokyo and Osaka and Yokohama. I mean, I can remember one match, I think it was, early on in Awesome's career when uh, Tanaka was in FMW and Awesome was known as the Gladiator at the time. It was sort of like a, it was sort of like a very specialty type match in FMW, and FMW was known for those type of matches. They still are, I think. I think it was like a um, hardcore slash uh, barbed wire type match. And watching that match, how it was just absolutely insane. I mean, they had barbed wire all over the ropes. Are any time your back or anything like that hit the buckle or even one of the ropes, are you're back would be sliced open to the point where you would just be seeing blood drip all over you like like a bucket. I mean, it was crazy. These two guys absolutely raised the bar when it came to hardcore wrestling, a la Terry Funk, a la Mick Foley, and they set the bar up, and then some. And like I said, some of these battles in Japan, I mean, I've seen a lot of great Japanese death matches. Uh, some of these superstars have made it big in the States and over in Japan, and just... It's sadistic. It's absolutely sadistically hardcore, and it's insane, too. So I would definitely say that is my next moment. Okay, you're up again. Alrighty, then. I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to go with HBK versus Ric Flair. Yes, there was... Yes, yes, a great, great match there. Uh, that was when Ric Flair, of course, uh, was inducted to the Hall of Fame that weekend down in Orlando 10 years ago. I, I remember that match like it was yesterday. And, of course, the next night we saw Ric Flair being honored by all of his friends. His friends came out, J.J. Dillon, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, and the entire locker room opened up. I mean, I, I got very emotional that night, I remember. I was I was not the only one. That got emotional. You know what? The part I loved when uh, Shawn Michaels went to superkick him, and he says, I love you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and I remember Flair, and I remember Flair talked about that a couple times on his DVD, and a couple afterward, even outside of the ring. He he told that story, I think, on one of his shows one time. I think he said something about a show uh, about six months ago. I think they're both in tears. Yeah, you could you could tell Sean's ready to break down, and Flair has his fist up, and he is just—he's. You could see the waterworks start to come right then and there. However, it's just—it's so emotional to watch, no doubt about it. I mean, it is one of my favorite moments of Ric Flair's career. And like I said, I wasn't the only one who got emotional after that night. I remember, I remember that match like it was yesterday, and it definitely, like I said, lived up to the hype. And then the next night when you had the entire locker room come out, you had Ricky Steamboat, you had Batista, you had Malenko, you had all the entire locker room, even JR and the King, how even they showed some of the footage, I think after the camera stopped rolling, came in the ring and gave Rick the proper send-off. I mean, Ric Flair is, when it comes to uh, the Mount Rushmore of wrestling, I mean, he is up there with the Brunos, the Hogans, among others. I mean, he is the king, no doubt about it. He has gone through the hell of player of yeah. the game. Yep. And now he's got the dirtiest star in the game, and she continues. I mean, for a long time, for a while, I was really putting the bad mouth to her, and I really, and I, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I, for long, I got to admit, for a long time, I was really not impressed with his army. I mean, she was talented, no doubt, and I still, and I, and she was great in NXT, but when she got up to the roster after a while, and she got a little too big for her britches, I kind of uh, went off topic quite a bit for a long time, getting really pissed off with her, and really. Uh, totally uh, mouthy with her and not just getting tired of her BS, but I'll tell you what, I mean, she still is, like I said, like far like Dara, I mean, no question about it, she is so, ta- she is super talented, I cannot knock her, she's done some great matches in the and last I hate, I hate to go off topic a little bit, but sure. I think she has to win the ladder in a, or ladder in a match. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, I think she has to do it yep. to, seal, to seal her greatness. I, I would have to agree. Yeah, I would say right now there's no question. If there is a favorite right now who wins in two weeks at Money in the Bank, she is definitely my – I would say she would have to be the all-time favorite, no doubt about it. I mean, she's super talented. And, of course, like you said, she wins that. She she can uh, punch her ticket early to the Hall of Fame because she has done it all. I mean, she has been in so many great matches in the past year that it would take – 
superstars years to achieve. She was in the first Hell in a Cell match. She was in the first triple threat at WrestleMania. She was in the first submission match. I mean, she's done it all, ladies and gentlemen, first from NXT. Event. She's been in the first main fan of Raw a couple times. Right, exactly. She's raised the bar each time, and and you cannot knock her for that. I mean, if you knock her for that, shame on you. Because I give her credit over credit, like I said. I will admit, I did put, as I said before, I did put the bit. Oh, my gosh, we got to write this down. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I will admit, for the first time, I was wrong. And it's been a long time I've said this, but. Oh, my God, you never said that, J.D. I know, I've never said that. Hey, let's. Let's keep going with it. it but good. like I said, for the longest time, I was really uh, kind of really not happy with the way she was winning her matches. And then after a while, I went back and I realized the error of my But like I said, I even admit when I was uh, putting the bat out, she still put on great matches. And she, in the last few years, just continues to get better and better, like you I, said. i gotta, I got to ask you a question. You watched Raw sure. last night, right? Yeah, I watched it Monday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, Monday, yeah, sure. It's Wednesday. Yeah. I thought it was okay. But go okay, on. I'm going to go on with it. Uh, uh, when Becky and her was, apparently they were sipping tea, mm-hmm. but it didn't look like they were sipping tea. It looked like they were doing something else. But I did see that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Because I thought they were doing it because Lana come out, wanted, demanded a title shot. Yeah. And, and I was just going to ask you about that before we get into my next match, uh, my next moment here. It's my, or no, yeah, it's your match next, isn't it? Yeah, it's my next moment. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But before I go into it, I want to ask you, you talk about Lana, Howard. I know Lana was just talking to Shane about maybe uh, coming into Money in the Bank, Howard. What do you make of this whole thing about Lana? I mean, personally, I think Lana is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say Lana's kind of risking her career, but at the same time, I mean, I know she's trying to get her feet in the door, Howard, but is she kind of really at this point, Howard, saying, I mean, does she have enough, I wouldn't say willpower, but do you think she's has enough guts to just be a part of the Money in the Bank marriage? If they're going to turn into a, I mean, well, right now. I heard, I heard she's getting a shot at Money in the Bank versus uh thing. I don't know if it's, because I was on Twitter today, mm-hmm. and Becky and Charlotte goes, holy shit, she got the match. So wow. I don't know if she's in Money in the Bank, or I think she's taking on, uh, the glow check for the title at Money in the Bank. Naomi. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I will say one thing, Howard. We'll definitely we'll be watching this very carefully. Yeah, but I think, like, she's never had a match on SmackDown, never had a sma- uh, match on Raw. Right. Um, well, she's been in NXT, apparently, wrestling. Uh, sure. sure. I don't think... It's never been posted on the air, I don't think. Yes. Um, like, I... I don't know if she's doing dark matches or whatever she's doing, but apparently she's trying to wrestle. But, mm-hmm. you know, you th- do you throw the young pup in with the wolves or what? Like Because this is what I'm seeing. I've never seen her wrestle, and I'm not bagging her. I'm not saying no. she's not a good wrestler because sure. I don't know. I've never seen her wrestle. So mm-hmm. that's what everybody, you know, is thinking. Uh, but, hey, maybe she'll uh, shock us. and Maybe she will be a great wrestler. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yes. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, just to let you know, I was just seeing this right now. How I'm just seeing this on WWE.com, DVDnews.com, or Wrestling DVD Network. There's talk that next year, maybe, and there's early talk right now, even though it's not official yet, how some of the topics that you might be seeing next year, ladies and gentlemen, some matches include Shawn Michaels, unreleased matches, Ultimate Warrior, unreleased, Macho Man, unreleased, The Best of Shotgun, Saturday Night, The Best of Trish Stratus, the best I heard of, Rick Rude might get a DVD. I think he should. I mean, with all the career achievements he's done, he's dirt worthy of it. I mean, you can put a lot of WCW stuff, however, a lot of WWE stuff, and a lot of WCW. ECW? Well, ECW. You could do, never yeah, you could, you, could, you could do a few ECW things. Cause he you wasn't, could do uh, some of the commentating, because, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, commentating was so funny. Yeah, when he was with Shane Douglas and Joey, I can remember when he did that, yep. The best of Trish Stratus, the best of Andre the Giant, uh, the best of Rashid McCrude you just mentioned, yes. Uh, here's another one. The best of Bruno, uh, the Women's Revolution, NXT Greatest Matches Volume 2, believe it or not. That would be good. And uh, that leads me to my next uh, great uh, moment in feud. I'm going to say my next one would have to be, talk about NXT, I'm going to say Samoa Joe and Shinsuke Nakamura. They had some great battles last year. 
But if you recall, I mean, I mean, those two guys literally tore each other apart. I mean, you saw what happened in Toronto, then you saw what happened on NXT shows when they went to Japan and Australia, and they tore the house down. How, of course, uh, Joe had a great 2016. Of course, uh, as you know, Nakamura was involved with some great battles. Of course, making his debut with uh, Sami Zayn. Of course, he also met with Finn Balor. Uh, some great moments there, and of course, talking about NXT real quick, just a quick plug here, ladies and gentlemen, coming up on July 4th here in the States, and I'm sure up there in Canada as well, you can get the Fight Owens Fight, the Kevin Owens story, out on DVD. I already got my Seth Rollins DVD. I still haven't watched it yet, though, believe it or not, the new Seth Rollins DVD, but I'm going to watch it soon. And then also, on August 1st, ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Angle will be coming out with the Essential Collection, and on September 5th, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to excite you the most, Tar. WWE unreleased from 1986-95. Some of the greatest superstars that were wrestling back in the day. You can see some of the guys who made it big later on down the road, however, during that time, however, that were big names both in the ring and out of the ring. So definitely check that out, ladies and gentlemen, as that will be coming out to a de- uh, video the, tournament. The but, Kevin Owens uh, DVD, it's all going to be just WWE stuff, right? They have a couple of his moments from NXT, I heard, including his debut. They have the match where he beats Sami Zayn, however, uh, the night he beat Sami for the title. They have his debut when he fought C.J. Parker. I'm going to take a look at some of the matches that are on here. I, I did see the listing of the Kevin Owens DVD. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up right now. Um, while, you're, while I'm doing that, however, go, go, I can't say it. go to your next moment. I'll pull up the moments. I'll tell you what's on the DVD of Kevin Owens here. Uh, okay. Uh, hold on. Uh. Okay, I'm going to have to go with Ric Flair. I know I'm going Ric Flair a lot, but, uh, man, that guy, that guy is, he's the ultimate heel icon in my eyes. Um, Ric Flair versus... The Dragon. Oh, yes. From 1989. Some great moments there. Oh, this man. Year. But they had a great feud. Like, yes, they, they had did. a great five or six matches, man. They beat the holy hell out of each other. Yeah. You go back to and the late... And the promos. Just the promos alone. Yep. Like, like when uh, the Dragon brought his kids and his wife. And, yep. And Rick would say, what the hell are you doing bringing your wife and everything? Yep. And he's like... You leave all that shit at home. Exactly. And, and, like, and he's like, you know, he's matching his cars and his money. And, mm-hmm. But Ric Flair, he lived the the like, lifestyle. The way he played, yes. like the, the role he played, he really lived it. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And like you said, I mean, they had some great battles back in the late 70s and the early 80s. They were, the te- they were teammates at one time. They were rivals, the best of friends. And like you said, they had some of the greatest matches that will ever be written. I mean, you talk about 1989, the three greatest matches of that year. I mean, you go back to February of 89, the Chi-Town Rumble, uh, the two out of three falls of Fair New Orleans, the Clash of the Champion Six, Raging Cajun. And, of course, probably the greatest of the three was obviously the Music City match in Nashville at uh, – Russell War 89. I mean, those three matches alone are worth watching. And like I said, each time they go 20, 30, 40 minutes long, and you just, you're just hooked. And it's just, it's incredible how those three matches absolutely stole the show and how the feud stole the show, too. No question about it. Um, your thoughts about uh, this encounter? Uh, this encounter was awesome. Uh, I've seen some, uh, like, some clips and some. Oh, well, actually, it was on WWE Network. It was uh, the Rivalry show yes. that you can watch on there. Yes. And it was uh, Flair versus Steamboat. And uh, I watched it, and I was like, holy hell, man. Like, they, you know, they fought each other, and they mm-hmm. ripped each other apart on promos. And, yep. And watching them, like, after, like, they showed, like, like new clips of, like, Flair and Steamboat mm-hmm. talking about the match. And that's yep. what I like. I was like... They're like, oh, you know, and Flair had nothing bad to say about Steamboat. No. He's a great guy and everything, and he really needed his push because he was getting up there. He was getting, you know, he yep. was uh, he was he was rising up on the roster. He was getting pretty big. Yep. And like nothing to do for him, and 
Trim. I don't know. If, I think Flair kind of like said, "Yo, I want to face this guy. Let's let's me and him like battle. Uh-huh. Let's see, you know, for the title." Yeah. You know, yeah, and they did a lot. This another together. thing, I gotta say, I watched. Uh, I gotta. This is off topic again, but it'll be a quick thing. That's but, fine. Uh, Go ahead. I watched. Uh, I watched. Uh, oh shit! I watched. Uh, oh well. Uh, no, I think I told you I watched the. Uh, yeah. The table for three, uh, Michael Hayes. No, I already told you that. Okay. Yeah. I didn't tell you this, though. I watched the new Table for Three. With Bruno, Randy, and Ric Flair the other night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard that was good. Yeah, and, uh, like, Ric Flair and Bruno was saying, you know, they wrestled six or seven times a week. Yeah. Maybe two or three times on Sunday. Ooh. Like, they had a hell of a schedule. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, they like did. That's crazy, crazy right? That, that's nuts, yeah. And Randy Orton, he was so humble. He was so, like... With these two legends, uh, yeah. you know, he's sitting there and they're they're telling stories. He's just sitting there soaking it all in, right? Yes. And uh, he was like, he was trying to tell stories like what he did, and they're like looking, yeah, okay, kid, you know, yeah, and moment in our shoes. Yeah, he's like, well, Ric Flair's looking like what? Like he's like, we wrestled like seven days a week. Yep. Every day, and then he said Sunday we had to do like matinee, and then we had to do like the main event, like nighttime. Yeah. He's like, you don't know what we had to go through, like. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like nowadays, you know, you do a couple of house shows, and you do a pay per view, you do Raw. Yeah. You're like that's nothing. That's, that's nothing compared to what they went through, right? Exactly. And you think about it too, like you said, you do a matinee show, or you can do a late night show. You're driving to the next city, however, later that night or early the next morning, and you're so beat after driving all night long or flying all night long, and you just have to want to get to a bed or a gym and work out or just get some sleep power, and there's no rest for the weary. Like you said, I mean, you're on the road 24-7. I mean, it was that lifestyle, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I did find uh, the Kevin Owens DVD, and here are some of the listings that you'll see in the three-disc DVD. This is what they've got. Disc one, we'll talk about the documentary type that starts it out. Uh, my journey, maybe I could be a wrestler. A moment that switched our lives entirely. Mr. Wrestling, Turning Point, The Top Guy, WWE Tryout, NXT, WWE Debut, WrestleMania 32, All for Family, Payback, WWE Universal Championship Match, and The Kevin Owens Show. Disc two, features special features include WWE Tryout Match, IWS, Steve Carino, Reflections in Brooklyn, No Singlet, The Name Kevin Owens, Six Months, WWE Debut, Grandfather, Superstar Ink Keller, uh, Unfiltered, Teaser Hashtag Number One, Teaser Hashtag Number Two. And now here are the matches you will see on the DVD. Kevin Owens versus C.J. Parker in his debut at TakeOver R Evolution, December 2014. The matchup with Sammy from TakeOver Rival, February 2015. That was a great match, by the way. Uh, Kevin confronts Sammy again in San Jose right before WrestleMania, March 27, 2015. Uh, May 18, 2015, debuting on Raw. His uh, win against John Cena in the Elimination Chamber the first night in at May of 2015. The matchup for the IC title versus Ryback, Night of the Champion, September 2015. Disc 3, however. The Royal Rumble match with Dean last year. The matchup with Dolph Ziggler on main event April 2016. This matchup was in Paris at a house show. Him and Triple H teaming up against Sammy and Dean Ambrose on April 22nd of last year. That should be a great match. The matchup with Sammy at Battleground last July. I remember that one. That was the one John went to in D.C., I remember. Uh, the fatal four-way for the Universal title, however, of course, from August last year. The matchup with Seth and Hell in a Cell. And then the matchup with Chris Jericho this past year at WrestleMania. Now, for you Blu-ray fans, here's some bonus features you will see. The matchup with Neville, February of 2015. The matchup with Sammy again, payback of last year. The matchup with Roman last September. And the no-DQ match the night after uh, the Survivor Series, however, in Toronto. So, uh, yeah, you got some great matches there on Kevin Owens' DVD coming up in 26 days. And uh, you can bet I'm going to get that and that. That's my library. Because that will be worth watching. 
That'll be worth You're not a Kevin Owens fan. I've liked his work from ROH. I mean, I've been a fan of his work from ROH. Oh, well, you know why? You should Google uh, him and uh, Sami Zayn as uh, oh, El Generico. Yeah, yeah, Kevin Steen and El Generico. Yeah, I remember they used to tear down a lot. Oh my of gosh, man! Some, Some of the, uh, I think the last ladder match they yeah. had before uh, Kevin Owens, or no, wait, Sami Zayn left first. Yeah, I think Sam did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man! I watched that, and that's that looks like a train wreck times ten. <laughs> well, you talk about ladder matches, and I know you're gonna. I'm gonna let you take the ladder match out, but you talk about ladder matches. There's been some great ladder wars, however, over the years. However, I'm gonna say. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go you, with my next. Why, why don't you go ahead? I'm gonna let you take the next ladder. Is it my? Is it my turn? Yeah, or? you're up. I'm gonna give you a bonus here. I'm gonna let you take a bonus here. Yeah, because you've been itching to talk about the ladders, and I know you're wanting to talk about this one. I already, I already said it, didn't I? I said Scott Hall versus. Did no, you, you talked about it before we came on the air, but you didn't oh, bring it okay. up. Now. But you, you brought it up now. Bring it up now. Yeah. Okay, uh, Scott Hall, or well, Razor Ramon versus HBK. It was uh, so hyped up. Yes. It was so crazy, and it was oh my gosh, it was legendary. The matchup, like no one ever thought. I watched that match like a hundred times. Yep. Um, you know, and that's and that's the match everybody goes to, like. You want a great ladder match? You gotta watch that one. But my next pick, I got another good good ladder match. All right, okay. But but you go ahead. All right. Well, you talk about uh, Scott Hall and Shawn Michaels. Certainly, no question about. It. I mean, I mean, these two guys definitely um, made uh, it happen with the ladder. Of course, they had some great matches. Of course, as you said, the first match being in Madison Square Garden, no doubt about it. it was a great war. And even the rematch they had in Pittsburgh, I remember at SummerSlam '95, was a good match too. I remember. I mean, those two were really uh, on their game that night. Uh, my next moment, however, would definitely. Uh, Evolve, let me think here. Uh, I had it on the tip of my head. Okay, I got it. I'm going to say I talked about uh, one of these. Well, I did mention uh, his partner earlier, and I'm going to mention this guy's name now. Of course, we know who we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. He is Mr. Monday Night. He is Mr. 420. He's the whole effing show, if you will, with his manager, Bill Alfonso, the man who called it always right down the middle. And it is Rob Van Dam taking on Jerry Lynn. I mean, you talk about some serious battles they had, however, my God, these two guys would fight all over and then some they would depend on if it was on a pay per view or on a house show or even just on a uh regular um normal uh like I said, regular card. I mean they would always find a way to opt the ante with each other. Your thoughts about R V D and Jerry Lynn? Well I gotta say, uh I always been a fan of R R V D. Um yes. you know, he's a great athlete he he comes to shine and he shines very well and I gotta say the same for Jerry Lynn, uh, being a little guy, you know, uh, you know uh-huh. that guy is tough as nails. Like uh, when I first seen him, I thought, what the what the hell this guy's like? You know, he's like a little bit over five feet maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, he's not very uh-huh. tall. He you five. know he's got a little bit of muscle and I thought, uh, I don't know, this guy's not gonna probably go very far. And I was very very wrong. This guy had a legendary career. This yep. guy could, this guy you could beat this guy to a bloody pulp, yep. and the guy would still go, "Come on, bring it." And that's you know, obviously, I'm a heel guy, but yeah, sometimes you got to think that face, man. He wants a beating, and he he's asking for it. Yeah, and uh, down. you got to think, uh, wow, man, this guy, and this guy had a legendary career. You know, over probably 20 years or whatever. Yes. Yes, he did. And, of course, like we said, RVD, of course, I mean, whether he was full of controversy, whether he's not full of controversy, he did a lot. Tag teams, of course, uh, multiple-time champion, different belts. Jerry Lynn. Do you Lynn think is, he'll come back for WB one more run or no? I think so. I think if if if, if, if Vince would call him right now, I'm sure if the phone would ring right now and, and if Vince was on the other line or Triple H was on the other line and say, hey, come back, however we want you to take on guys like Owens, uh, Sami Zayn, or even Finn Balor, oh, I would love to see it. I I I pay to watch him because I think he'd do some great business with these guys. Oh my gosh, him I and AJ Styles. I think he should be on SmackDown. 
Oh yeah, if him if he went to SmackDown, him and AJ Styles, oh my god, that's a money feud right there. Yeah, I was just gonna say you bring up a good point with him and AJ. Him and Nakamura even would have be a great match even. I think it would be kill to watch those two steal the show and watch them go out there and just uh, just go 25, 30 minutes. Those guys would just tear it down. Um, but, uh, like I said, Jerry Lynn, the thing about Jerry Lynn, and I give Jerry Lynn credit, too, no doubt about it. I mean, even though, however, he did not really stay healthy at times, however, in WWE, and I think he got injured early on, however, which was a shame, however, because he could have, if he had stayed healthy, would have been a great light heavyweight. I mean, he was definitely uh, a very good guy in ECW, like I said. Of course, he also uh, had some battles in the day with guys like uh, Carino and Tajiri and Super Crazy and uh, those guys, Nunzio. But he also, of course, was the masked man in WCW for a brief time, Mr. JL. And I know he had uh, some uh, interesting um, things happen to him in WW, or excuse me, WCW. It was just a shame because uh, he should have gone more of a raw power than he did. I mean, he didn't do too bad, however, but he just didn't get uh, the proper respect he deserved, however. And I think he should have deserved a lot of respect in uh, WCW before heading to ECW. I'll be back in a second with your final moment. Yes, I totally agree with that statement. Okay, I'm back. Okay, and now we're going to go to Gerard's final match of the evening, and then I will give you my final match of the evening before we call tonight here. So give us your final one of the evening. Alrighty. Well, since you wanted to go with ladder matches, yes. I don't know many people. This only happened this year. Yes. But I'm going to go with, and I'm going to say it. I don't care if anybody disagrees with me or not. I'm going to okay. say Two greatest tag teams out there today. Yes. The one is the Hardys. We all know that they are the greatest tag team of all time. No doubt about it. No doubt. Okay. We all agree with that. But the next statement, you won't agree. You Well, you know, no one's going to agree with me, but I don't care. Uh, yes. I love the Young Bucks. Yes. The Young Bucks. And... You know, uh, everybody, like a lot of people, like I, I say, you know the Young Bucks? They're like, no, I only know WWE. I'm like, oh, man, you're missing out. Because the Young Bucks, and I watch their, like, their shoot stuff mm-hmm. on YouTube, yes. like with all the wrestlers hanging out and whatever. Oh, yes. yes, yes. But uh, the Young Bucks are one of the greatest, uh, I'm going to have to say, one of the greatest 20 tag teams all time. Yes. Young Bucks are in there somewhere. Yes. And uh, I know they haven't wrestled for WWE yet. And they, hey, they might. They're only they're only young. They're only like 30 years old or something. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, they might. But but the thing is with that is I don't want them to water them down because they right. are such a great tag team. Um, right. I'm gonna have to go with. The Hardys, Young Bucks, in a ladder match for the ROH Supercard of Champions or whatever. Yes. And that happened a couple of months ago, Mm -hmm. just before, actually, WrestleMania. Yes. So, uh, the end of March there, March Mm -hmm. 30th or something, 31st, uh, they fought, and then after uh, Hardys lost, they came to WrestleMania and won the titles. But Young Bucks... They're, uh, it's funny because uh, they they have the ROH championship right now, and they made their own super kick title championships. Yeah, I heard about this. Yes. Yeah, they never defend them. They never. They don't. But apparently, when the Hardys won, they won them too. So, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's pretty funny. Uh, but oh man, you want to laugh? You go on YouTube. You look up the elite. It's the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega. Yes. It's got uh, the new, well, Marty Scrawl, the new right. member of Bullet Club. Mm-hmm. They had Adam Cole, but they had to kill him in the episode because he's going probably to NXT. When is he going to show up? I have to ask you that. I mean, oh, man, I wish, like, hope. But 
and and then again, I want him to be Adam Cole, right? But right. um, like Kevin Owens, he's he's done pretty good. So um, like if they treat him like Kevin Owens, it should be okay. Right, right. But Adam Cole, like, but I hate when they like take a wrestler and then they like water them down. Like totally. you know what they're like. You've seen them in ROH, TNA. Yep. Japan, you've seen them everywhere, and then you see them in WWE, and you're like, who the hell is this guy? Exactly, exactly. It's just, I don't get that either. I would agree with you there. Good, very good moment there, I would have to say. And like I said, I've you've talked about that match exclusively quite a bit, how in all of our shows, and I have not seen it yet, but I do want to check it out. And from what I oh, heard, man. Uh, I, can see. I do want to check it like, out. Like it on the computer, man. I'm going to get it, and I'll send it to you on YouTube. Definitely, I will definitely watch that for sure. Great moment there. Okay, my final one's a good one here. Uh, I am going to go with. Let me think here for a minute. I had it. Um, okay, I got it. I'm going to pick. However, my moment for the last one of the evening is going to be talking about the tag team tower. I'm going to say the Road Warriors versus the Midnight Express from Starcade '86, the Night of the Skywalker match. I mean, for the longest time, we know about the Road Warriors. They were the undefeated. Uh, monster team of the 80s, however, and you look at uh, Akeem and Rezar, however, now the authors of Pain, however, who continue to be like the new Road Wars of Hawk and Animal, if you want, however. But I'll tell you what, however, I mean, back in the day, Precious Paul Elvin, probably one of the smartest, if not one of the smart managers in history, however, uh, had two Brahma Bulls in his stable, uh, the Animal and the Hawk, and uh, they ran through everybody and anybody within earshot, however. But back in the fall of 86, however, the Midnight Express of James E. Cornette and his team of Loverboy Dennis, Sweet Stan Lane, Beautiful Bobby Eaton, all those guys, however, tried to put the uh, kibosh on the Road Warriors. Well, unfortunately, however, the Road Warriors, however, got attacked one day, I remember, on one of the old TVS Superstation shows. Well, a couple weeks later, what happens, Cornette, however, is goaded into a match by the Road Warriors, however, and as a result, we know um, to this day, Cornette talks about this on his podcast, and he's talked about this story many times, however, on Jim Cornette, however, that he is definitely afraid of heights. Well, on this night, however, unfortunately, however, Cornette was chased up the ladder, however, late after the match was over, but at the time, you had these four guys, however, that were up 20, 25 feet above the ring in the Omni, however, and at the end of the night, the Express lost. But what made it so funny is Cornette tried to hit, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Animal. And instead, however, he chased Cornette up the scaffold where Hawk was waiting for him, however. And Cornette was so terrified. You could see the look on his face, however, the whole time he's up there. And Paul Ellering comes up as well on the other side, however. And Cornette's, like, screaming bloody murders, like, yelling, no, no, don't drop me, don't drop me. And he's hanging there a good 20, 25 feet up. And you're thinking, this ain't going to go well. And as soon as he comes out, he goes, splat, right down to the ground and blew out his knee. I mean, tore his knee up completely. I mean, he shredded his meniscus. Uh, I think he also tore some car- uh, other things in his knee. And to this day, he has a limp, and a, a strange limp when he walks hard. And he says how that for the, after that happened, for like a year, year and a half, two years straight, how they would always show that moment on TBS Superstation Saturday Night Hour during the commercials if it was about Starcade. And he says, however, for the longest time, he should have been getting money out of this because of the way they were shown up. But at the time it happened, however, he just says, that did not go well. That wasn't uh, be planned that well. But he, Animal says, however, that was the funniest and most amusing thing he'd ever seen in his life. Because a year later, if you remember, the following year, the Express were back in a scaffold match again. This time, Cornette decided not to take the pump. It said it was Big Bubba, Ray Trailer, the big boss man, who went up power, and they battled the Rock and Roll Express. And of course, these two teams had had history as well back in Mid-South Wrestling, however. So this time, Cornette stays below the ground instead of going up. Big Bubba is chased up the scaffold. However, I think Gibson or Morton, by the way, the Rock and Roll went into the Hall of Fame this year. Anyway, Bubba tries to come out, and he's trying to hit one of the Rock and Roll Express. So next thing you know, I think one of the rock and roll guys takes Cornette's tennis racket, which Bubba had brought up with him on the top of the scaffold, and they start hitting Bubba right on top of the scaffold. And there you see Big Bubba, a.k.a. the Big Boss, just sprawled out in the middle of the scaffold, however, completely beaten down with a tennis racket. It was it was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable to say the least. So again, that was one of my favorite Starcade memories. I mean, I mean, I remember that was one of the first things I watched. I remember, like I've told the story many a time. My dad's uh, 
um, mom's dad was a big, big NWA fan, huge fan. And I remember he's like Dusty and Flair and those guys. But when he saw what happened to the Road Warriors, I was really young when this happened. I remember when he saw this, however, the Road Warriors and the Express happened on the scaffold. I mean, his, he just shook his head. He, 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 his face just was laughing to beat no end. He says, this is unreal. I said, yeah, I know. And to this day, I still have to say that is one of my favorite ladder matches and scaffold matches of all time. It's just, I mean, I'm glad they don't do them anymore. But at the time, our... It was unheard of to see something like that happen. It really was. Well, on that note, folks, uh, we're going to cut it loose here. However, we got a revolution coming up here in just a few minutes. I do want to thank King NWA Gerard T. Smith for joining us on the line tonight. However, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you all for listening as well. We will be back, of course, tomorrow night with Topio Inc., 140562. However, which should be a very exciting show. And then at 9 o'clock, we'll be back with episode 102 of Wolfpack Radio, 138521-pound. But tonight, Gerard and I will be having your news headlines for you and all that such coming up here in just a few minutes. We'll also be talking about last night's SmackDown. John Gross will have your birthdays and dates in history, and as we take you out tonight, we're going to play a little rock and roll for you, Howard. It's only fitting, however, that uh, this song is fitting, Howard. It is U2, where the streets have no name. The reason why we're playing U2 is because tonight U2 is playing in my hometown of Pittsburgh. So, for all you U2 heads out there, this song is for you. We will talk to you again next week in the ring, however, same time, same place at the debate table. So, for now, for the King and also the Iceman, this is JD saying so long for now, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Good night, everyone. <laughs>